Um, I have a very special man next to me today. This is uh, Dr. Ron Highfield. Uh, he's professor of theology at Pepperdine University. Of course, uh, many of you know I love Pepperdine. Our church loves Pepperdine and uh, are grateful for him to be here today. He's got, uh, I don't know where they are. Uh, do you know, where's Marty and, okay. There's his wife, Marty, over there. Get your hand up, Marty. There we go. She's with us this morning. And, uh, and your in-laws, all the way up from San Diego today. Yeah, are also with us today. Um, and this morning, all we want to do is have a conversation about some of the most uh, weighty things in the universe. And uh, we're hoping that you'll, you'll join in with us. As you know, we've been in a series called Truish, which that, that phrase is uh, just kind of a slangy way of saying something that sounds true, but maybe isn't, or maybe it's a little bit true, uh, but it's not completely true. So some of the ones that we've done, uh, this is the last Sunday in that series. We start a new sermon series uh, next Sunday. But truish uh, is a phrase we've used. We've taken things like uh, live your truth. Uh, we've taken uh, I'm too busy. The truth hurts. You wouldn't understand. Uh, some of the things that we say that, that might have a little bit of truth in them, but they're not completely true. And uh, we want to today work through some of the underlying things that are underneath those uh, and uh, be able to just kind of continue that dialogue. And, and so we thought it'd be great to have Ron come join us this morning. He's got some books on the back table over there uh, that, that are free. Now, you can, so you can take one, okay? Uh, I know some of you are, are book fiends and will get up and go uh, swipe one of each. Don't do that. Pick one and let, leave uh, some for others. Uh, among his books, uh, well, give me the name of the ones that are back there. I know your book list, but... Uh, well, I have a book about God, it's well, I'm called, glad. Called, I'm glad. That's a good subject. Well, We're a big fan. What else? It's called, it's called Great is the Lord. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, and I have a book uh, on creation, which is creation and providence. Um, I also have a book on uh, Christianity, Is It Really True? It's in a book of apologetics. Is it? And, yes. Okay, good. Um, I agree. Yeah, yeah. We're off to a good start, aren't we? Of course we? it is. Yes, I know. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. And, and then I have a book on uh, basic just topics of uh, teaching the church, topics of doctrine. Okay. You also have a blog that I love, I by the way, I uh, IFAQ Theology, but it's like .wordpress.com or something yeah, yeah, after yeah. that, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay. So those of you who are following along on the Bible app, uh, we've got the, some of the questions that I'm asking him are on there, as well as a link to his blog plus the list of books. Uh, so you can go there, and if you're wondering how to do that, here's your quick ad, and then we will be off and running. You just, you open the Bible app, you go to more, then you go to events, and then you uh, find us on there. You'll find New Vintage SD. Click on that. It'll take you right to kind of the, the way we're going to roll this morning and some of the links and some of the book links uh, and all that good stuff. So uh, let me start with this. How, you've been teaching for how long now? I've been teaching at Pepperdine for 30 years. This is my 31st. 31 a years. All right. Amen. Amen. Uh, so I came into your class probably around year uh, six or something of yes, yours. Yes. Uh, it's been a long time, but you've been teaching undergrads and graduate students for a long time. How have you seen uh, young people evolve spiritually, uh, meaning when they come onto the Pepperdine campus, which is a Christian college, for those of you who aren't familiar with Pepperdine, um, and you're teaching there, and you teach Christianity and culture still? Do you still teach? Yes, that? I do. Okay, and then the Christian faith. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it, so these kids come into your class. How, the average person rolling in, how are they similar? How are they different from a spiritual standpoint, your average young person? Would you mind if I thank you first for inviting me? And uh, 
Thanks for the church here oh, to. I don't uh, mind at all. This, That's fine. To me. Um, I also want to simply make a confession of faith that everything I say today is premised on my faith that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead and that he is the Savior and the Lord and he has given us everything we need to live a really good life. And my life is premised on using everything I am, every energy I have to serve him. And so everything I say today will be premised on that, those premises. So how, are, how have students changed? I want to talk a little bit about how they've changed, but I want to talk more about how they haven't changed because that's really mo the most important. Students have changed because I can't get them to put their phones down. I have a no, I have a no computer, no computer, no phone policy in my class because I want them to listen to me and uh, pay attention to what I'm talking about. Um, but I can't get them to put them down. So, uh, Also, they are less traditioned. They're not rooted. Um, they're open to whatever. Um, and there may be many, many other things in which students are different. I do not try to keep up with their music, with the subculture, because I would always look out of date. I, I look like their grandpa, and they're not gonna, I'm not gonna be cool with them because they would catch on to me very quick. So I'm just willing to be their grandpa, okay? A good, uh, hopefully a good wise man to, to help them out. Okay, students are the same. I, I'm asked this question actually quite often, and I, and I say, Students are still born, they still come into this world from not having been here. They're still gonna die. They still know, they still need to be loved and love. They're lonely, they're weak, they don't have as much hope as they uh, need, and they're scared about the future. And so. My classes, I try to meet them there. And we're on the same ground. We have the same God, the same Savior, and the same needs. And that's what I recommend to them. And I try to move on from there. So just talking about the concept of, of truth in general, yeah. um, we coined this little term truish, mm -hmm. all right? Um, which in a way doesn't really exist, and, and some things could be partially true, maybe not, or are they either true or not true? Um, do, you, do you think that uh, just as you encounter people, uh, you've, I also had this man as an elder uh, in the church I was serving at the time too, so you and I go way back, uh, I mean way back, so I definitely, you're like a grandfather to me too, Ron. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> just kidding. I was joking with him earlier. He's old enough to remember Skinny Tim when I walked into his class, and I, I weighed like 80 pounds less than I do now. I mean, bony, bony Tim. You still had a cup of coffee, though. Yes, I do. I do. I still drink more coffee than most people uh, on planet Earth. But um, just in general, the concept of truth, people who think uh, the concept of living your truth was one that we talked about kind of in week one of the series. Do you think that people have their own truth, this truth? Uh, something that exists that trans is there a I know what you believe about it. what I'm saying is what would you say to a person who said hey you know what hey that's my truth you live your truth I'll live mine um, how would you respond to them well I actually think this is a big a big issue in students that that I teach 
um, in one of my classes, Christianity and Culture, I basically tried to explain how our culture got to be the way it is so that people could doubt if there is a truth or that truth is individualized. Um, after we explain that history, then my next lecture is the five truths. You weren't always here. You can't do it all. You can't be it all. You're not always going to be here, and you really are dependent upon the world that we live in. These are undeniable truths. They're not controversial. And by thinking about those truths, we realize we have needs. We need um, a God. We need a Savior. We need a Lord. I think this, this idea that there is no truth is a pretty superficial idea. And once you really scratch it and point to some of these undeniable truths that, that condition our existence, then people realize, well, maybe I should seek the truth. So as you and I were talking about this, the gospel really forms for Christians, forms the, the, the foundation of everything, and it becomes the prism through which we see all things, really, uh, or ought to see all things. So, so could you in just a sentence talk, it's just trying to explain the gospel in one sentence. Um, the gospel is the good news. And the good news appears as the good news when you realize you need a savior. And so part of what we need to do is we need to help people think about their, their condition, the fact that we're uh, finite and mortal, we're going to die, we, we can't do the things that we would love to do that make us happy, we need hope in our lives. And then I think that people can see that they need a savior. And then of course they need to see our lives that are hopeful and faithful and loving and caring and real and solid and I think with that combination people began to sense you know there might be some good news um, for me as well so if you took the gospel in today's church kind of looking at the panacea of the way that churches behave and think in the living in today uh, on one side I'm going to draw a kind of a, a duality here that that exists on a on a continuum on one side you've got churches that are very um, Oh, I would say centered around heaven. Uh, you've got them. They're, they're very much about evangelism and trying to help people come to Christ for the purpose of living forever in the afterlife and things like that. Uh, on the other side, you've got uh, some that would be more about, hey, this, we, you know, that's pie in the sky, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, what the gospel is really about is bringing hope to everything in, in right in the here and now uh, and doing acts of, of, um, of justice in the world. Um, Talk to me about just kind of what you see on the on the landscape of churches and what this, maybe the strengths and the weaknesses of both of those are. Um, or is one of them better than the other? Is one of them wrong or right? Or are they both right in their own way, wrong in their own way? You know, yeah. right-ish, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, well, I, I'm hoping that there are not as many churches that are just that polarized, you know, where they're only focused on making, ameliorating the conditions of this world or just totally focused on what your fire insurance when you die. Uh, I think most churches have a, not, not necessarily a good balance, but some of both. But I think that Jesus, if you get to know Jesus, he was not, he didn't live in this dichotomy. He certainly was aware of his father and he wanted uh, the disciples to be aware of his father and of course to live for uh, in, in view of the future, that the, 
um, unbelievable future he has for us. But right now, uh, to live that life of love and compassion and discipleship in every single one of our relationships, as far as those extremes, I think that um, living, I, I know that it's popular now to talk about uh, justice or social justice, and of course we, we want justice, and we should um, reach out in compassion and, and help people, but we shouldn't forget that it's God's justice that we're seeking, and it's um, uh, seeking to live a life of discipleship now in view of, I mean, we are going to die. And there, is, there are things in this world that we cannot solve, problems we cannot solve. And only the power of the Holy Spirit, only God's power working in our lives can solve these problems. And that's the power of the resurrection that reaches into the present. And so we need to look forward to the resurrection and feel its power now. I mean, just, a, just an observation. I, I see kind of from the landscape, uh, even inside of our church, which is one of the most kind, loving, gracious churches I've ever been a part of. It is, frankly, the, the most kind, gracious church that I've ever been a part of. But the, the angle that we try to take here is that we do things like uh, what we do overseas with Compassion International or what, we, what we're doing right now by uh, putting shoes on the feet of kids that are here in need. Uh, we're doing those things because of what God has done for us and out of an outpouring of grace in our lives and because we think that that's something that would honor the Lord, and, and it's an expression, a tangible expression of the grace of God in the lives of people, which is different than doing it because um, of a, maybe a more of a rights-based paradigm where, um, hey, you know, here are people that, that lack things, and it's not fair that you have it and they don't, so we're going to take it from you and give it to them. It's a totally different way of looking at the problem. There's a different motivation to it. Uh, there's a different uh, temperament that goes with it. Um, and... And so I've always thought it would be interesting to see if um, uh, we couldn't find some way to bridge that divide so that we could kind of understand, hey, in the end, we're kind of after the same thing. Um, we'd all like to see shoes on those kids' feet. Uh, we'd all like to see the problem of, of homelessness dealt with. How we get there, why we're getting there, is, is where the problem is. And, and so I think it is important for churches to maintain their rootedness uh, in the gospel because when you don't, uh, you really do end up in a, in kind of a frightening place because you realize that, okay, I'm out here, I'm trying to solve problems. Like you said, we can't solve. Uh, and the only solution I've got, I kind of left behind. Um, and, and the solution is, of course, Christ and, and, and working it out through the gospel. We're capable of doing things by the power of the gospel. We're not capable of doing through just rear, sheer reason and, and effort. Um, so there's, there's my rant. I, uh, I really think this is a, an important thing for where we are today uh, in the culture that we're in. So uh, with that in mind, I mean, uh, other places that people find meaning and, and solutions and so-called truth, uh, one of the things I've always appreciated about you is that you've never really drawn a hard line or, or seen uh, science and Christianity as enemies. Um, one of the more s theologically significant films of our time is Nacho Libre. And when... Th those of you who have seen the movie uh, may remember the, the infamous baptism scene there uh, where uh, he asks him if he's been baptized. And he says no, and he asks him why, and he says he never got around to it, and why do you judge me all the time? And then he goes on to say, uh, I don't believe in God, I believe in science. 
And it was one of those little moments I was sitting there and I was laughing my way through the movie like most people do. And then I sat up and I go, well, listen to that. Uh, and yet there are a lot of people who think that. They think science and faith are enemies. Um, and, and you, I've always appreciated that you've never really seen it that way. Can you just talk about science, faith, um, and how those could relate to one another in a very uh, godly, responsible way? Well, I, I was a chemistry major, math major, in undergraduate, and I've always had a deep appreciation for science, a fascination with uh, what's how science ever uncovers our world and its mechanisms. Um, I've also always been a deeply uh, Christian, and uh, I've never wanted to see the contradiction between the two. I have thought about it a lot, and I have written about it and uh, kind of come to my own clarity about it. Let me comment on that statement in the movie. I, believe, I don't believe in God. I believe in science. Well, you must not believe that you need God to get any help or any answers, and science is going to answer. Well, I'd like to know. There's, I, I wrote a little essay a few years ago called 10 Things Science Cannot Do. And in fact, there's not one Im truly important thing like give meaning to your life, put love in your life, make you know you're forgiven, uh, give you hope for the future, and on and on and on. Science is a tremendous tool to undercover under, um, the um, mechanisms in this world, how the world is interrelated. It cannot tell you one single thing about how it's related to God. So what I do is I respect science in its field, I love it for its um, uh, knowledge it produces, but I don't look to it to answer my questions about the meaning of my life and my hope for the future and my um, uh, capacity and my, my relationship with God. So I would say assume there's no contradiction between the two and pursue each in their own uh, area, their own field. Um, I was, this last week I was in New York City and I was talking to, um, I was in a, a, a business course actually at, at Columbia University and we were talking about the difference between preparing a sermon versus preparing like a, a TED talk. And to them, they were very similar. Uh, there really was not a lot of difference. Uh, and what I was trying to help them understand is no, they're, they're very, very different for a bunch of different reasons. Uh, but, but one of them is, when you're doing a TED talk, there's a certain, you're bringing a certain set of expertise to the table and you're trying to convey a message to people about, you're trying to teach them something, okay? In a sermon, in theory, okay, part of the task of the preacher is to spend time thinking, dwelling on uh, the Holy through the Holy Spirit's power, God. There are a lot of people who don't see the point to theology. Um, meaning, I read my Bible, here's what it says, I'm done. A plus B equals C. This goes to this, which tells me to do this. Now, there's a certain simplicity to that, and it's not that that's always wrong, but what is the value of actually uh, spending time thinking really deeply about God? You spent your whole career doing this. Uh, you know, I, I find value in it as a, as a preacher because that's that to me is where the word really comes alive is when you're when you stare at a text and you think about all the implications of it you ask that question okay what does this say about god um what is it not saying about god what um what is this saying about how god relates to his creation and what is this 
it, it, and it's in that churning that that meaning kind of comes out. But uh, when I was sitting there, um, and to keep in mind, to be fair, none of these folks were Christians. I didn't expect them to understand that. But the sheer exercise of dwelling on and thinking about God, what is the value of that to, to the average Christian? All right. Um, first of all, um, not everyone in this audience needs to learn how to read Hebrew or Greek. Okay? But somebody does because the Bible was written in Hebrew and Greek and Aramaic. You don't have to do it yourself, but we're part of a big community where we help each other. And not everyone has to do what I've done and spend, uh, let's see, uh, 45 years uh, reading old books and thinking about philosophy and God. But somebody does, okay? We live in a culture where I understand theology as a person who puts his or her mind in the, the scriptures, in the history of the church, but also listens to what's going on today in people's minds. Because if you don't think systematically and, and ethically and philosophically about your faith, somebody else will do that thinking for you, and it will be secular, and you'll just absorb what other people are saying about God and about what it means to be human and about what is good and what is right. Because there, there are systems of thought out there, and they're in the water, they're on the, uh, in the media, um, they're in our schools, they're, it's everywhere. It's just in our DNA. So we have to think our way out of it. And I think every Christian has to do that to some degree, and some have to do it more than others. But it's, it's vital because it's so easy just to slip in to thinking like the culture. But we're not called to think like the culture. We're called to transform the culture into the image of Jesus so that uh, so we have to understand it and understand its deep roots. I mean, that's much of what I've given my life in doing is understanding the roots. I always used to say to my fellow elders, when we're discussing this problem, there's actually about four levels below where we're discussing it. We need to back up and dig down and correct this problem before we can even address the superficial one. Well, what's down there then, usually? What is down there, it's uh, a long story. <laughs> Um, but you have 20 seconds. Yeah, okay. Go ahead. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. Take us all. Take all the time you need. It's it's a decision that was made um, during the scientific revolution in the 17th century and 18th centuries to uh, think of human beings as being able to reason themselves into all of the truth they need and to decide for themselves how to be human. It was a shift from authority to uh, autonomy, to de uh, independence. So all authorities were, were not respected anymore, including the authority of the Bible, authority of the church. And everyone has to think for themselves and live their own truth. This, this phrase, live your own truth, is not exactly as it's stated, but it's 300 years old. It goes back to the Romantic movement. Um, there was a guy named Herder who in 1800 
said something that would work on a, uh, a Berkeley, uh, in Berkeley, California, on a, on a bumper sticker. He said, basically, each person has their own measure of their particular qualities peculiar to themselves. Sort of odd language, but what he means is nobody can tell you how to be happy because you're totally different from any other person, so you're the only one that can decide what makes you happy. This is 300 years old, and it's been in our culture working its way through, and it's deep in our psyche. Uh, if you ask yourself the question, if you're speaking to an audience of randomly selected people from Escondido or Los Angeles or anywhere else, what are the applause lines you would get? You wouldn't get any applause lines for calling for self-discipline, obedience, all these old traditional words that used to be you know, positive. You would get applause lines for don't let anybody tell you how to live your life. The audience would go wild because that's just that, that's self-evident to them. Uh, so it's deeply rooted, and we have to rethink it. We, we can't go back to just authoritarianism. Um, we have to learn to walk with Jesus. Jesus is freedom, but he's freedom not to do bad stuff. He's freedom from all the demons and the bad stuff that control our lives and the lies that permeate our consciousness. So walk with Jesus and I think we can walk between those two bad poles of authoritarianism, which makes you feel like you're nobody and you have to do what somebody else tells you will make you happy. And on the other hand, groping in the dark, experimenting to find some way to make it through the next day. That's not life. Jesus is life. Learning, uh, learning and living by mistake is a way that I've put it to people before. It's, it's kind of like you just go out, you follow your impulses, your instincts, your appetites, and then something in your life falls apart to the extent that it wakes you up and you go, okay, I got to do something different now. Uh, but you're still kind of doing that personally utilitarian thing rather than a acknowledging something that's transcendent that's, that's above you or something underneath, yeah. like you were talking about, uh, letting the gospel shape everything yeah. that's there. So, uh, you know, maybe let's, let's go down one more layer here. Um, and so let's take theology, how important it is. Let's take the gospel as we just talked about it and start applying it to a couple of, of areas of life. Um, one, one of the ones that is, is hot nationwide right now is almost every issue pertaining to life. It, it, abortion, euthanasia, suicide is, a, is one that to me is, is on the rise as I see it. Not that anybody's really championing it as a way to go, uh, but, but the way that it's being approached, the way it's being talked about is, is, is different. How would the gospel, how would a person th do theology, if you will, to help them deal with that, rather than just simply saying, hey, this is what I think about it, this is how I feel about it, and then just letting that drive them. How does the gospel help shape the way that we would approach some of those issues? Each of the ones, each of the ones you mentioned, um, you mentioned abortion, euthanasia, and suicide. Um, insofar as, I'm not talking here, I don't wanna talk about any psychological issues here. I'm talking ethics and theology. And there are deep psychological issues which uh, have to be dealt with by psychiatrists and, and, and medical professionals. So I'm not going to get into that area because I don't know anything about it. But from a, a theological point of view, each of those issues, if you were to justify them, you would justify them on the basis of individual autonomy and search for ha personal 
individual happiness. Every justification I've ever heard of any of those have been rooted in that. And of course, that goes back to that same root 300 years ago. So I would say we have to help people understand that being God's possession, being Jesus' disciple as his Lord is, is freeing. It gives us hope. It gives us an identity. You know, you're talking about living your own truth. Well, the problem is people live one truth one day, one truth another day, and another truth another day, and so they're unhappy. That doesn't lead to happiness. Jesus is the truth, and Jesus is your truth. That's the gospel message. And we know that's true because we have lived that truth, and that is our truth. Paul said, I no longer live. Christ lives in me. He didn't mean there's no such person as Paul. He meant, I'm the real Paul now because Jesus is the real me living in me and giving me the kind of life that if I knew what I wanted, I would choose. Say that again. That was awesome. <laughs> I'm about ready to start preaching right off that right now. That was great. Well, hopefully it's recorded. It is recorded. We'll go back to it. We'll, we'll cut that clip out and post it this week, I hope. Um, you know, look, I... I, uh, I love living here in San Diego. It is amazing. This place is ridiculously amazing, fundamentally awesome, okay? Um, weather's great. The people are great. Uh, you don't have a lot of the headaches that you get up in, in my, uh, my hometown of, of L.A. Uh, with traffic and stuff. It's just a different animal. I love living here, and so do most of the people in this room. If, if you don't, <laughs> go find a better place. I dare you. All right. Now, one of the challenges, though, as people try to follow Jesus, is because it is such an amazing place, you can surf and ski on the same weekend, same day, actually, if you wanted to. You, you, we basically have, right here on this site last night, okay, where we're sitting, there was a tamale festival, there was a lowrider convention, there was the Day of the Dead being celebrated, um, and so if you, you see any of the workers walking around, they're all exhausted and tired because of all the fun things to do, right? Right now, as we're sitting in here, uh, there are all sorts of fun things going on outside here. And so one of the things that's challenging for Christians, especially those who are new to the faith, is learning how to follow Jesus consistently in a way that leads to abundant life. Um, so, so as a pastor of a church, I've tried to encourage my sisters and brothers in Christ to understand the importance of self-discipline and how the habits that we develop and practice are going to lead probably much more likely to who we are than, than what we just rationally uh, believe uh, for that day or um, some other way that we would go ahead and, and kind of live our lives. Our habits, in many ways, are what form us, the spiritual disciplines, prayer, community, uh, worship, study of God's Word, and having some marker in your life that gives you the time to stop and think about God in a, in a meaningful way uh, and to engage the Holy Spirit in a meaningful way. Um, can you just talk about, because you're still a churchman. I mean, you still, you still do attend church, right? Okay, I'm glad. Absolutely. I'm glad. Um, you know, just what you see and what, what's the value of just consistency and, and how a person relates to God 
these days. Um, am I off track? I don't think you are. Uh, you asked me the first question about what, how students are different. Um, there's just a lot more to do. We're all much more wealthy. I mean, um, we think we're not wealthy for a middle class, but, but we are. We've got lots of options. Um, and so my students are busy, 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 busy. And I have a hard time getting them to, you know, de dedicate the time they need to, to learn. And their parents are busy. And the grandparents are busy. We're all very busy. So I think perhaps we should learn to examine ourselves and get over our fear of missing out on something and just examine the things we do, whether this is a good thing I would choose to do. And if we have a hard time disciplining our, our lives, our time, um, maybe, maybe that should uh, concern us and maybe we should think about that. I mean, I'm the kind of guy that has to say, ask somebody, is the World Series happened yet? <laughs> um, I, I'm pretty academic, uh, kind of, some people would call it boring kind of guy. Uh, but actually, I may be boring, but I'm not bored. I, I have good things to do, and there's so many wonderful good things to do. Um, that uh, I don't need the uh, just, you know, I, I watch television at night, Netflix, okay, it's my vice, but, um, but uh, I... Well, you're alone in that. <laughs> I don't know anybody else. <laughs> I, can, I can work that machine. <laughs> uh, do you, uh, if you had a discipline or two, that you could encourage people? Because a lot of the people in this room are actually pretty new to the faith. We've got our share of, you know, old, crusty samurai Christians in here. Um, but we've got, uh, and young, crusty samurai that have grown up in the church and, are, and are, are, they get how to do this thing. But we also have a lot of people who are very new to the faith. Um, and just as somebody who's been a churchman for a very long time, you're a theologian, uh, you, you've been an elder in the church before, um, if you could give them like maybe a pearl or two, just say, look, if you don't do anything else, put this one on and, and, and hold on to it really tightly. What, would you, what might you give them? One of my fellow elders at the university church uh, was asked um, what he, something about his church attendance, and he, he said, well, his ministry was showing up. And we all kind of chuckled at that. Have you guys yeah. heard somebody say that from the pulpit before? That was, what, two weeks ago? show up. But um, we know Steve very well, and his showing up is a very encouraging thing to other people, and he's always there to serve others. The church has many shapes and forms throughout history. Um, this shape, this form, much more traditional, staid forms, but the church is God's people gathering together, wherever that is, whatever it sounds like, whoever does the talking, but to help each other in this world live like Jesus, to strengthen each other, to be friends, to help each other in every aspect of our lives, to have someone who understands uh, and can give us the friendship and love we need. So I would say, Whatever form that takes, don't give it up. Get together with your brothers and sisters. First, go to give. 
give strength and encouragement and concern and love and prayer for others. And then you will also receive. Uh, I often tell my students, you can't control who loves you, but you can always love in every circumstance. And what do you, what do you know? The one who loves almost always, is re it's returned. It's uh, returned to you. So concentrate on loving and giving to your brothers and sisters and, of course, all, all of God's children everywhere. But. Amen. Um, let's talk Bible for just a second about Scripture and its importance. Um, what might you say to someone who wonders if the Bible um, just is, why is that superior to other sources of wisdom uh, out there? What, what's, how would you respond to that, and maybe what's the importance of the Bible just in the everyday life of the Christian? Okay. Um, for those of you who are going to take one of the books back there, I, I have a few essays actually on this subject. So um, I know there's not enough books for everyone, um, but I can't say everything here. But I'm a Christian because I believe that Jesus is real. He really lived. He really healed people. He really died on the cross. He really has risen from the dead. The, gra the tomb is empty. So my Christian faith is based in reality. Okay? It's, not, it's not a mythology. It's not speculation in philosophy. It's based on something that really happened. And, of course, you weren't there. I wasn't there. But some people were. And they're reliable witnesses. And we can root our faith in reality. Okay, so I'm going to give you the short version of why the Bible is important to us. Um, who wrote the Bible? Who wrote those Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the epistles of Paul? It was Jesus' friends, right? Um, and if I believe that Jesus is risen from the dead, and that he, these are his friends, then I'm going to look to his friends to learn what he taught and what he gave us to live by. And by looking at his friends, just open the New Testament, and I can read the, the words of someone who met Jesus risen from the dead and who heard Jesus say, teach them everything that I've taught you and go out into the world. The Bible is... Again, we have some mystique about it. What it is, is it's the words of Jesus' friends, which he empowered by the Spirit to, to bless the future generations in our lives. And why do I read the Old Testament? Well, because it was Jesus' Bible. And Paul says it's there to tell us about who God is. So, um, I don't have a fancy theory about it. It's just that my faith is rooted in fact, um, the, this is where I learn about those facts and learn how to be a disciple of Jesus. There's more to it, but that's a pretty simple and a good enough reason to hold the Bible in great esteem and know that it's the authority for what it means to be a Christian. Now, if you want to be a Buddhist, you're going to have to go to another authority. If you want to be some other philosophy, but if you want to be a Christian, this is where you learn what it means and how to be one. That's good stuff. I love the way that you can take complicated things and just boil them down and make them very simple. 30 years practice. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> All right, well, I got one more for you here. Okay. Um, kind of, and I've, I've got in mind kind of some of what you've said uh, about the, about Prometheus and some of those things yeah, and yeah. some of your writings. 
Um, there are a lot of people who I would say who fancy themselves as atheists, um, who may or may not actually, in fact, be atheists, but but they're um, they might explain their their uh, theology this way. Uh, I can't believe in a God who, okay. Uh, if God is like this or his people are like this, uh, then I can't believe in a God like that, which is not necessarily saying you don't believe in a God. You're saying you're kind of shaking your fist at who you believe God to be. Um, as you encounter people like that, how might you, what might you say to them explaining God, who he is to them and responding to that? Um, first of all, I would like to get clear between me and my conversation partner who says that they're an atheist. What they mean by atheism. He, that's not me, by the way, just for the sake of the tape. I'm your conversation. My, I just want that down. My hypothetical uh, conversation partner. Atheism is the belief that there is no God or anything like God. You can't have a substitute thing, spiritual force or something, that takes God's place and does what God traditionally is understood to have done. You've got to understand uh, that atheism is, there is no God or anything like God. So, what you're saying is the ultimate reality is non-thinking material stuff, okay? So, you got to live with it, okay? Now, in terms of the problem of evil, which you articulated, I can't believe in a God who would allow so much suffering, so much war, so much famine, tsunamis. I understand. I understand that feeling. When I look and see the suffering in the world, when I uh, see the suffering in people I love, it's heart-wrenching. And it should be heart-wrenching. It was for Jesus. That's why he came. He came as the answer to those heart-wrenching things. Not only sin, but death and all the things that plague us. Okay? So it is heart-wrenching. So we shouldn't have easy, facile answers to give to people. When someone asks me, why did God allow this to happen? My answer is, I don't know, but I'm so sorry. There's no other good answer to that. That's the best one possible. You know, God did it for this reason is a horrible answer. Or, on the other hand, God couldn't help it. God couldn't do anything about it. The reason those answers are wrong is because no one, you don't know that. You don't know either one of them. But you can say truthfully, I don't know, and I'm so sorry. That's a true answer. The others are false. The others are way beyond what you can know, and that's a comforting answer. Now, I find my belief in God, despite the suffering in the world, hugely comforting. If there is no God or anything like God, we're stuck. I started to say something else, but I won't. <laughs> <laughs> We're hopeless. It's, I mean, that's it. It doesn't get any better. But with God, there is hope. And with Jesus risen from the dead, that hope is grounded in something that's already happened and that is already at work. So we live in a hopeless world. We live in a world of despair. And our message is a message of hope grounded in faith and lived in love. I just, I don't know how you could replace it with some kind of uh, cold comfort of saying, at least I don't have the problem of evil because there's no God. The problem of evil is the evil itself. 
And Jesus is the answer to that problem. That's what I say. And I say amen. Good job. And that's how I yeah, live. I don't yeah. um, last thing. Give some guidance. This is your last question. Then you're off the hot seat, my good man. Um, in the public square right now, uh, just as Christians are trying to interact with people, uh, I think sometimes either uh, Christians are reading stories that make them seem uh, dumb, uh, sophomore-ish, out of touch, um, and sometimes when you read those things or you watch news stories or you hear people talk in the public square, um, uh, it can be very discouraging. It can be very upsetting. Um, can you give us some guidance about how to carry ourselves? What's the best way to carry ourselves out there right now, uh, witnessing to the gospel in the world that we're living in at this time? Um, okay. <laughs> um, this is not a new problem. Uh, the first Christians uh, faced similar, different but similar, uh, accusations, similar caricatures. You know, there's, a, there's an image uh, in the second century of a donkey on a, on, a, on a cross, and it says, Anaximenes worships his God. Now, I haven't seen that in the modern world yet, where the cross is so made fun of. Um, I would say be careful on Facebook. Um, I, I never, I always try when I'm talking in, on my blog or in, or in Facebook to talk down at those levels that, I'm, that I know something about instead of get up in the level where I'm just expressing an opinion or somebody else is just expressing an opinion and we just back and forth with, with no real reason and rationality, okay? So I would say when you hear characters of Christians, understand that it comes with the territory. It comes with the territory of following Jesus, okay? Don't, don't get too bent out of shape about it. Don't think it's um, going to be the end of the world. That's, that's our calling. Our calling is to love our enemies, be patient with those who are impatient with us, okay? Um, so, um, I would say <laughs> we, we have to live a, a life of service and a life like Jesus. That's our best testimony. Um, I don't talk about politics on my, um, blog or on Facebook, um, because that's talking about something that, uh, I can't control as a, a Christian. I mean, I, I do, don't, I don't think it's wrong to vote, but I don't, I don't, use my credibility. I have only so much cred, and I'm not going to use it for that. I want to talk about Jesus. Okay, amen. Yeah, 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 yeah. Thank you, Ron.